on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guests, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter pinned as the tweet is linked to UNICEF, which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal, click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Chase. And I'm Blake. And this is a Spawn Daily episode. We're up to this crazy one-shot graphic novel called Spawn, Blood and Salvation. It was different. I'm glad that we we're getting more of what we talked about last episode, which is Daniel, who's this futuristic hell spawn. But I don't know. I'm going to let Blake do the recap on this one because I think he gets more out of it. It is anybody who's listened to the podcast for a long time knows is not my style of art at all. And the other thing is there's a lot of scripture in it, which I'll talk about when we when we do the uh, thoughts at the end, um, why that kind of threw me off. But that being said, uh, let's let me share my screen and we'll go ahead and dive right in. All right, Blake, take it away. Well, hold on. This is still set up from the last time. Uh, make sure everybody can see. Uh, okay, Blake, take it away. All right, cool. So uh, Blood and Salvation. Uh, this is a very interesting issue because um, this is the conclusion to the Dark Future arc. No one really saw it coming when it came out at the time because Curse of Spawn had ended two years previously. But enough people... I guess mailed in was like, Hey, whatever happened to that Daniel character? Like how did that story end? So eventually I guess they just got annoyed enough to where they're like, okay, let, let's actually like conclude this. Uh, to my understanding, that's kind of how it went. Um, it is also uh, an issue that Ashley Wood uh, did all the art for. He's very avant-garde. He has a very horror centric style and uh as jay said it's it's not for him you know you kind of take it or leave it it's it's a very interesting kind of direction but it leans into that urban horror 
dark psychological kind of art that McFarlane was kind of leaning into uh, because of his work on a couple one shots. This is actually the second one shot that uh, Ashley Wood did uh, in the Spawn universe. The first one was called Blood and Shadows, and that one we'll get to a little later. That comes a little later in the timeline, but uh, Blood and Salvation is one we're on now uh his work was impressive enough to uh todd mcfarlane and company and uh ashley wood was kind of like the head artist for uh a sub series a 16 issue series called the hellspawn and uh it's primarily this kind of art style it's very interesting uh it's very abstract it's kind of hard to get like solid images on anything it leaves a lot to the imagination so um because of that because everything's so abstracted you kind of have to leave a lot to the imagination um the the heavy lifting is really done by the writing and coming through clearly with like character voice and everything making sure that the characters when they're speaking um, it's very clear who is who. And so you kind of have to give them like different, uh, different personalities that come through the dialogue. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do think the art is, is very interesting. And, you know, I, I say all the time, this is not my style of, of art, but I should, I should clarify. This is not my style of art for comics. You know, like if this, if every page of this were up in a gallery, whether it was in this correct order okay. or not, I would enjoy walking through and look because I enjoy looking at the art, but this art, it's not, you know, this in no way is the style of the same kind of sequential storytelling where, you know, I talk a lot when I um, am reviewing a comic and I'm specifically talking about the art. I talk about the transitions from panel to panel of being able to follow the story. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, that even beyond the style and being more of a watercolor and an abstract style that Ashley would use is that he's, you know, very, famous artists and, and well-known and well-regarded and, and rightly so. But, you know, his art, there, there's, there's nothing about his art where, okay, let me look at the transitions from panel to panel to see the storytelling. It, it's not yeah. that it's, it's more about emotion and impression. And like Blake said, there's a lot left in the imagination, but uh, like I said, it, it is a, 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 an ending or a continuation, I guess we'd say of the, of the story of Daniel Lasano that we, that we uh, talked about last episode. So. Yeah, so uh, if you turn the page, we'll see that it opens up um, on this crow and it's uh, starting to quote some scripture and it uh, it's it's mostly world building stuff. It, it's kind of, you know, for anyone who just like picked up this issue, it's kind of trying to establish like a feel for kind of how the world is. Everything's dead. It's it. It all sucks. <laughs> um, then uh, some more scripture, a lot of scripture in this one, as Jace was saying, it's uh, it's it's heavy handed on the biblical themes and everything, almost contrary to kind of what we're used to when um in the Spawn series, because a lot of the time in Spawn, uh, the main series and everything, uh, we're, we're constantly exposed to kind of that duality, that, that, that gray area where heaven isn't all good and hell isn't all bad. 
but in here it's very black and white hell is absolutely bad there is no if ands or buts in heaven is definitely good no if ands or buts so it's kind of a departure thematically in that sense so in this kind of concluding episode in the the dark future arc it's very heavy-handed on the biblical themes and and messaging so um after some more like world building more scripture um we see daniel standing there and it's it this whole story is uh set shortly after uh the conclusion of the dark future arc uh which was uh curse of the spawn number four uh damnation war uh so shortly ago abaddon was incinerated um and Matthew had been teleported by Daniel to uh, to his mother, Madrid. And um, some time has passed, but not a ton of time, um, as as we'll see. It becomes more apparent later in the story. Um, moving on, we have a new villain character. Uh, this is kind of a pervasive issue continued from the um, from the original curse of the spawn arc um lots of lots of characters uh so here we have another new character that we're introduced to his name is amon and here he's giving a rousing speech to his necro soldiers i'm not entirely sure why you need to give a speech to your necro soldiers like i thought the implication was that they're already kind of like robot zombie hell demons like obeying like your every command so this kind of felt a little weird when i was reading it like why is he even talking to them like isn't there like some kind of like telepathic connection or something that that makes them have to obey him but i guess he's, he's got to pep up the troops you know everyone's got an off day so he's pepping up the troops here he's telling them how humanity is made from mud kind of a reference to how Adam was uh, created from the dirt of the earth. Um, He's saying that humanity sucks. They're all bad. We're, you know, pestilence, war, famine, disease, rage, all of that's just the beginning. And here we are. We're going to finish it. We're going to unmask their sins and things like that. Um, And then, you know, all the soldiers are like ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And, then we get like a shot of uh, Flegethenyar and he's saying like how he's going to unveil how worthless their Lord is. And, you know, he's just yeah, they're, laughing. They're fired up. Yeah. They're, fired they're up. feeling it. <laughs> they're feeling well, it. Yeah. For the last battle as it were. Uh, then we get a new location. Uh, this is the village or town of new hope. This is, you know, that this is kind of what suggests that some time has passed. In the first four issues of this arc of content, uh, there is no mention of like a last bastion. It just seemed like they were kind of hiding out in a hole, but now they actually have a town. So that's kind of what makes me think that a little bit of time has passed since, uh, since the destruction of Abaddon. Um, so yeah, they have this new town called New Hope. And uh, another new character, this guy's name is Crane. <laughs> um, this guy is sort of like the mayor of, of New Hope. He is uh, very aggressive. He wants to just 
straight up attack New Vatican. He thinks that by ending the antipope, that this will be the end of the war. Since the antipope is the kind of leader of hell's armies on earth, he thinks that if they can get rid of the antipope, then they've lost their leader, then the war, you know, will be over. And everyone's like, that's a bad idea. But then some people are agreeing, like, you know, if not now, then when? Uh, we have some familiar faces. We've got Siv and Flechette. We've got Madrid and Matthew here. And uh, Siv and Flechette are like, we're not really here for the spiritual mumbo jumbo. You know, like, give us a gun. Let, let's get to Let's get to work. Let's go. Um but there's a lot of opposition to going because if, if they go and they fail, that's, it's kind of the end of humanity. So Matthew speaks up and he suggests, Hey, what about, what about that hell spawn? You know, he kind of like saved our butts. He saved my butt. And everyone's like, Oh, this kid, shut up. Stop talking. Obviously he's talked about it enough to where everyone's like, stop it. You know, not, not this again. Yeah. And they definitely discount what he's, you know, what he says about being teleported away. And they think it's all kind of his imagination. Yeah. No way. Why would a hell spawn help us? He's on the other side. Right. And they never really got to see that side of him. And also we, the audience know that there's a deeper connection there um, to compare it to the main series. Matthew, in this sense, is very much like Cyan is to Al, you know, like they they aren't super close, but they are in a sense related. They are connected in a very spiritual kind of way. And Matthew has that connection with Daniel because he's his uncle and his nephew. Um, and Madrid is actually feeling some kind of connection too. She's starting to put these pieces together. She feels like there's something there, but she's not quite making the, the full connection yet. And Matthew's upset that no one's believing him. And he's like, I was there. I saw this guy change sides. If we get him here, he can help us. And no one wants to believe him. Um, then we see another familiar face. We are uh, checking in with Abel. Abel, uh, in the first four issues, he didn't really have a whole lot to do. He was sort of the infiltrator. He was the spy. He was kidnapped by the anti-pope and he had his insides all cut up and messed up and we're told that, you know, he was turned into an agent of hell and he was baptized and, you know, all the, all this nasty evil stuff happened to him and he, he looks messed up. And as you can see, he's, he doesn't look any better. He, he's got messed up hands, his hair, his body, like he's, he's all sorts of messed up. So He's not doing too good and he's not feeling too good either. It feels like it seems that some of his consciousness, his human consciousness is still in there and he feels guilty about doing what he did. And he, he just wants it all to end. He, he's like, I want the second life to be over. I'm sick of it. I, I'm damned. Like, I just want peace. And he looks into like a body of water, sees a bone or a stick or something. He picks it up and he's about to ram it into his neck when Daniel 
intervenes and stops him. He grabs his hand, wrenches the, the bone or the stick free and tells him your work isn't done yet. And this is the first time that we really get to see Daniel in, in the story since the destruction of Abaddon. When last we saw him, he blew up the tower. He blew up Abaddon. He teleported Matthew away. And then we see his hand like a zombie reaching out of the ground as, you know, skin and material was sloughing off. And, and that was the last time we saw him four years later, we finally get this one shot issue here. He is, he has returned. It seems that in between the time that he blew up Abaddon and when we see him now, uh, a voice has appeared in his head and he doesn't seem to be fully aware of what the voice is, but we see shortly it is the voice of God himself or herself itself themselves. I don't know. Uh, God is speaking directly to Daniel and telling him what to do. He told Daniel, Hey, you need to wander these, these wastelands and you're going to bump into Abel and you need to help him. And Daniel's like, okay, cool. I'm not really sure why you chose me, but you know, I'll do it. So he bumps into Abel and he stops him from killing himself. And he's like, you're not done. The voice in my head tells me that, that you still have a purpose. There's something more for you to do. And Abel resists. He doesn't want to believe it. He's like, no, I just want the second death. I want it to be over. And then the finger of God, it says the finger of God touches Abel and he's enveloped in a bright light. And it seems like all of the sin is purged away from him. And he has an actual conversation with God where God tells him, you're now my child again. And I am who I am. And it seems like all of the evil that the anti-pope had poured into Abel is now undone. And now he is an angel of he is a winged creature. He is a being of light. He is a soldier for heaven. Uh, this, this reminds me a lot to the main series. There's lots of parallels between this arc and the main series. Um, this Abel's transformation into this, this angel sort of reminds me of the Redeemer and how God and the angels chose like a specific person to be the redeemer to, to fight spawn. Uh, but this is kind of like a twist on it because in here, uh, Daniel, the hell spawn is actually on the same side as the redeemer. They have to work together. And initially after his transformation, Abel has no memory. He, he has no idea what's going on. And he's kind of taken over. He's his willpower is is enveloped by this light, this this heavenly instinct sort of. And he immediately attacks Spawn. He's like, "You're a demon. You're a hell Spawn. I need to kill you." And so they they fight at first, and Daniel's trying to convince him, "No, this isn't how it's supposed to go." And uh, and yeah, I felt kind of bad. For Daniel right here like he he 
kind of stops this guy from killing himself, brings him yeah. back to God. God purges the evil. And then the first thing that Abel does when he's purged of evil is turn around and go, oh, you're a bad guy. Kill, kills a point blank. Like, yeah, just like blast him with this this heaven energy or something. It sort of looks like. And yeah, no good deed. laying there just yeah. smoking. <laughs> yeah, no, no good deed goes unpunished. That's the first right. thing I thought. Poor, poor Daniel. <laughs> And then, um, and then it looks like he picks up like this really nasty looking knife and he's like, I'm going to finish this. Uh, when I suppose there's a divine intervention question mark, a demon shows up just now and his name is flesh and, uh, he likes to collect flesh. <laughs> um, you know, great, great character name, you know, keeping it simple. He he's like this giant humanoid sort of gorilla looking creature with lots of hooks and chains and, and all sorts of nasty stuff on him. He's got beady, tiny red eyes. And his whole thing is he likes to collect the the skin of people and he has lots of like cryogenic compartments all over him to like store the flesh that he collects so he can graft it onto him whenever the stuff that's on him currently decomposes or gets damaged or something creepy creepy nasty uh character but in this uh in this sort of demonic intervention abel and Daniel need to team up in order to beat it. Abel at first is the only one attacking it. And then he, he nearly gets killed. And so Daniel jumps in and he, he finishes flesh, the demon off. And Abel actually tells him to stop because the rage takes over Daniel and he's actually, it's been minutes and he's wailing on this thing. And, and the thing's been dead for a long time. So it seems now that Abel and Daniel are, more or less on the same side they're like okay i may have overreacted a little all right let, let's move on from here let's move on from this uh then we're going to switch over to new vatican we haven't been here in a while we're going to check in with the anti-pope and see what he's up to uh he's doing evil stuff nothing new there he asked his cardinal to bring him uh, this ancient this ancient grimoire that he's going to use to summon uh, these creatures called the mumblers. Um, he's tired of there being a calm, a peace, a, a sort of standstill right now. Ever since Abaddon got destroyed, the the demons and everything like Abaddon was kind of like the head general, like leading the forces. And so, since his destruction and death, he. Uh, you know, the war kind of like sat still for a while. And so the anti-pope's trying to reinitiate the attack. And he wants to do that by summoning these creatures called the mumblers. And the Cardinal's very afraid of this because apparently these mumblers were existing before time itself, before creation. They existed in the darkness before, and there's there's no controlling them. Once they're set loose, there's no telling what they'll do. Hell doesn't control them. Heaven doesn't stand a chance against them they're these super powerful demonic creatures and it's just bad news bears uh and then we also see that iman is uh 
gearing up and riding on a skeleton horse and he's leading the necro soldiers into battle and it seems like all hell is coming for humanity and new hope um then we jump back over and we see that new hope is being bombarded the attacks begun things aren't looking good matthew is having uh dreams or nightmares uh, that are very prophetic. They're giving him visions. He's seeing, um, he's seeing Daniel when Daniel was still a human and he's sort of getting like these prophetic visions. And the way I kind of read this was maybe it's God. I mean, whenever, whenever there's some kind of like prophetic dream or whatever, it's always some kind of bigger spiritual entity. And since God is like such a in your face, presence in this particular story i think god is trying to speak to matthew and by feeding him these dreams of his uncle and uh the message that that dream daniel is giving to matthew is you need to stay with your mom that's the most important thing is stay close to your mom and so daniel wakes up and he's he's panicked he's in a sweat and then he finds out that there's uh, a big military movement. They're going to take like this giant train that goes straight to New Vatican and it's armored and it's got tons of guns in it. And they think, okay, we're this is going to be the final assault. All of humanity is on the line here. So there's, it's do or die. And Madrid is going on the train to, to attack New Vatican to hopefully end this war. Uh, Matthew obviously is upset because this is an absolute suicide mission. There is no hope, but that's, that's the well, state he, of the situation. Yeah. I mean, he tries to say, I'm going to, and yeah. she's like, no, you're not. You're staying here. And he's like, no, I have to go. I have to be with you. And she's like, not this time. So yeah, he's, he's devastated. And she doesn't have the context of his dreams either. She's kind of among the other people these outsiders that didn't see what Daniel was like Matthew is the only one that really knows the connection. Still Madrid hasn't made the connection that, that she's actually related to Daniel, that she's related to this hell spawn. And so yeah, there's and that, that, that goes like, yeah. Disbelief. yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying about how Daniel or uh, Matthew rather so similar to Cyan in the main series. Mm-hmm. Because she's just a two-year-old kid who believes a two-year-old kid or whatever, right? Like no one can kind of glimpse her experience and what she's been through. And that's very similar to what's happening to Matthew here. No one wants to accept the unbelievable things that he has to sell. And so, uh, yeah, they all gear up, they all get on the train and, you know, this is humanity's last stand. Uh, let's see. Then we kind of get like this montage of uh, of Daniel and Abel going into New Vatican. It seems that the voice in Daniel's head, God, is telling him that he needs to go to New Vatican. And so they go there and we see, we check in with them briefly. They're fighting a bunch of demons. We see the train blasting through the wilderness and it's getting attacked by demons. We see humanity shooting a bunch of guns and stuff. The train gets overrun by the mumblers 
and it's it's not looking good <laughs> like from the get-go like we're we're just like two pages into into their like just going to new vatican and it's already going south <laughs> they're already overrun <laughs> um then uh daniel and abel make it into new vatican and they make it to the antipope they're standing in front of the antipope he's like the palpatine of this he's the final boss and the antipope is super super arrogant makes a complete miscalculation absolutely underestimates what abel and daniel are there for and you know their capabilities so he's like i'm so evil and powerful nothing can stop me yada yada and then abel's like oh yeah watch this and then abel rips his heart out that's it <laughs> that's the end of the anti-pope he's done but then daniel's like that was too easy they're they're that was way too easy. Like we, we just walked in here. Like we fought some demons and we walked in here. No way. And then, and then Durgis. Yes. That Durgis, the Durgis from the Angela arc a couple episodes ago, he haunted her. He's the specter of death. He's this primordial evil, the Durgis that Cogliostro met in the alley that he's super afraid was somehow freed. That Durgis is here, and this is the final confrontation. He's the real final boss. So Daniel recognizes him, or the voice recognizes him. It's very vague here, because as we, the readers, understand it, Durgis never came into direct contact with Daniel. So it they, Daniel's speaking as if he knows who Durgis is. So I'm not entirely sure what this conversation is <laughs> um, part of me like like when you look at stories there's always two levels to it there's the meta textual that's all the behind the scenes stuff that's the director commentary that's the writer commentary that's stuff you find on twitter and then you have intertextual that's that's the text itself. That's the the story that's being told and how you interpret it. So as the story presents it it implies that Daniel somehow knows Durgis and we're just never told about it. Metatextually, though, if we're stepping outside of the story just for a moment, I think that this was kind of a way for uh, Ellen McElroy to sort of wrap up the Durgis arc because he had this character or, or he introduced this character, Durgis. He fought Angela. Then he tussled with Cogliostro in the alley. Cogliostro mentioned it in the previous arc with, uh, with Tony Twist. He mentioned it to the, uh, the Knights Templar. Um, and you have like these, these brief mentions of who Durgis is, what he's about, but then we never got a conclusion to it. Well, this is kind of like his way of concluding that without having to interrupt or change whatever Todd McFarlane was doing in the main storyline. So this is the conclusion to Durgis's involvement in this story. This is the conclusion to Daniel's story. That's why before I said this is sort of Blood and Salvation is like the conclusion to uh, the Curse of Spawn series because Durgis was kind of the antagonist for several arcs and it, it you know he was made up to be like this big villain and here he is this is the conclusion to 
the Dark Future arc, and it wraps up Dirgis as well. So in a sort of weird, lofty sense, this is the end of the Curse of Spawn series. Um, yeah, this this is where I was really like, wait, what's going on? Because we're told that Dirgis is the face of the greatest of all evils, mm-hmm. and he's telling Daniel, he's like, okay, all masks are off. You know, you're revealed as as what you are. He's like, run while you can. And then when Daniel says, well, I, I know what you are and I know you fear the light. Then he says, well, what are you doing? You should be down on, you know, your knees blinded with fear. And I took that to mean like, okay, well, he's expecting Daniel to be subservient to him because they're sort of on the same side because he's assuming Daniel is a hellspawn and he should be evil. So I was like, wait, if he was on the side of good, he, he would run away from such powerful evil. But then on the next page, he's saying you should be bending down your knee to me. So I was like, well, wait, <laughs> which like does Jurgis know that Daniel changed teams? Does he not? Like it was a little bit confusing. I wasn't sure what I wasn't sure if I missed something, basically. Yeah, it was it was very confusing. The first time that I was reading this series, I didn't know what Blood and Salvation was until I read it. And then when I read it, I'm like, who's Durgis? Because at that point, I hadn't read Curse of Spawn yet, so I didn't have that context. So that's the the reason that I arranged in the Spawn reading order the way I arranged it, because um, we got the Angela arc, then we have like a brief break where we check in on Spawn and what he's doing, and then we get the Tony Twist arc, and then we get the Dark Future arc, and then we get this, because Durgis doesn't have a huge role in the overall Spawn series, and there's no reason to beat a dead horse to drag it out longer than it needs to be. So that's why I arranged it the way that I did. This is the last time we see Durgis, and he never shows up again. Who knows? Maybe maybe in the future, Todd McFarlane will be like, hey, that Durgis guy, I'll bring him back. But for right now, this is it. So yeah, um, it's very abrupt. It's very, very quick. It's you know, he, he shows up for two panels and then he's gone, you know, like, like we, we see him in, in two shots and then we see him in this nice double pre, this double page spread. And then that's the end of Durgis. Um, Daniel's like, I'll offer you the thing that you fear most and that salvation and forgiveness. We have no context for that. Maybe you, I don't know. Like, like my imagine wants to go to like, what's Durgis's backstory? Why would he fear forgiveness? Why would that be the thing that destroys him? So that, that just makes my creative mind, like go in all sorts of different directions. But in the context of the story, we have no, we have no context. So it, it feels very odd and ham fisted. Yeah. Know. And it's also interesting that Daniel says the victory has been written on the world since the beginning you lose. So like, again, I mean, Daniel really has gone all the way over to the side of good so much so that he knows that the side of good was destined to prevail. Maybe that's why he switched sides or maybe he gained that knowledge through being touched by God earlier when he helped Abel be purged of evil. Yeah, maybe. I mean, in this picture, uh, Daniel has that sort of heavenly light coming out of him. And we yeah. haven't seen something like that you know, come out of a hell spawn before. So maybe this is actually God. I mean, maybe God is the one speaking through Daniel because we know that God is a voice in his head right now. So maybe Daniel is just like the avatar, the vessel with which God is speaking through. It's very vague. It's very vague. And and it's hard to draw hard conclusions. 
So, um, yeah, that's the end of Durgis. Uh, Daniel incinerates him in this kind of heavenly light. Durgis can't handle, you know, whatever it is that he's dishing out. This this hardcore forgiveness, he just can't stand it. And he, he just goes up in an absolute puff of smoke. He's obliterated. Um, and then we jump back over to what's happening on the train. Everything's going south in Madrid and Matthew are like, okay, we need to get out of here now. And yeah, we should, we should mention when everything was going crazy earlier, uh, Madrid did find Matthew stowed away on, <gasps> on the train. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I got caught up. Yeah. So earlier um, when they were on the train and being attacked and everything by the mumblers and the demons, and they were being completely overwhelmed um matthew just pops out he, he's just like hey i'm hey, here Mom. i snuck on and you didn't see me and her and madrid is very upset um so yeah we're popping back over to them and they're hoping that they can get off this train by jumping into like the ashes of people that have been burned and everything and um, yeah that's such a great line he's like mom we gotta jump she's like we're going too fast and matthew says pray the ashes of the dead cushion our fall yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is an awesome line. Yeah, that one's good. And then we we see Crane. He is very near death. And so he initiates a self-destruct sequence. And the armies of hell and Amon are, you know, they're, they're, they don't see it coming. Uh, Amon says, I must say this about humanity. Um. They are a hardy breed. <laughs> so they all get incinerated. They go up in white light and they're done. They're gone. Supposedly, this is the end of Hell's armies. They are completely defeated. Humanity has come out victorious. And so after being absolutely destroyed, we're going to jump to their head honcho sitting in the 12th circle of Hell, the archdemon. Flegethanyar, he goes on a tirade. He is upset. He is so angry that he just lost. Apparently, he sank everything into this and it did not pan out the way that he thought. He just goes on a huge tirade. He's like, you know, hell's better than heaven anyway. You know, there's all this freedom and stuff, but you know, at first it's, it starts off sounding very philosophical. Like he's very put together. He's very articulate with how he's saying, and you know, it, it almost sounds like you could side with him, but as he goes on and on with this argument, as he continues on and on, he gets more and more belligerent and, and just shows his true colors. He is a demon. He is the Lord of demons. And he, is like I, I, you know, murder who you want to murder. Blah, blah, blah. It, he just—he's so upset that he becomes belligerent and he just trails off at the end of this long, long speech, and he's just defeated. And at the end of this huge tirade of him just throwing a fit, he says, "Oh God, I want to come home. I'm so lonely." And that, it was pretty cool. I don't know. It worked for me. It worked for me. I liked that this cosmic being that, you know, was supposedly, he's been around for eons. Who knows how long, you know, since, since the fall. 
like we don't really get a whole lot of backstory on these giant demonic lords. They're so macabre and, and strange that we just kind of assume they've always been this way. But this line kind of suggests that Phlegethenyar and maybe even Malbolgia, maybe these creatures, these demonic lords of hell were once angels that fell with Lucifer, fell with Satan. So maybe... You know, he's just tired and wants to go back to the way things used to be. So after this huge tirade, after trying to end the world and he, and losing, he's he's just upset that he doesn't have anyone there with him. And so he's alone. I don't know. There's something very punctual. Not punctual. I don't know what the word is. Poignant. Poignant. It's very poignant that, that you know, after having all this power, and and coming so close to victory that ultimately he just wanted company i don't know there's something very human about that yeah he he goes a little violator here with his whining and his diatribe you know trying to sound all threatening like you know you it's clear he can't believe he lost but then mm-hmm. in the end yeah he's just he's just like a loss that he lost yeah he's just a lost little little boy in a lot of ways you know he's kind of demon weeps yeah the demon weeps and then on the final page of this one shot we check back in with madrid and matthew and he asks what now and madrid says we give thanks matthew we give praise and he's like i love you mom i love you too and that's it. That's the conclusion of the dark future arc. That is the conclusion of um, of the Durgis and all that. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting kind of art style to wrap all this stuff on. But I feel like, I don't know, overall, the story worked for me. I feel like there, there definitely could have been like a handful of revisions, maybe take out a lot of the the extra scripture the scripture stuff didn't really land in a couple in a couple instances it actually kind of fit because it would set like a certain scene or parallel a certain scene but for the most part it was just kind of like this is the end of the world this is the end of the world more end of the world did you forget i don't know it, it was just lots of apoc- apocalyptic verses and it's like, okay, we already know that the world is ending. We already know that these these are like the end times. You don't need to remind us on every page from like all these different Bible verses. I don't know. Part of me like almost thinks that that McElroy was like, I'm just going to scour the Bible for all this stuff to, to kind of like fill in some of the spaces here. I don't know. I don't know what his what he was thinking exactly, but it didn't, that, that part of the story did not land for me. Yeah. That's where I, it really fell down for me also. And I don't know if it's my, you know, nine years of of Catholic school, but uh, you do see on the screen there, the credits everybody. So yeah, Alan McElroy uh, story art by Ashley Wood, as we said, Richard Starkings and comic crafts, Oscar Gongora uh, on lettering and then designed by, by Brent Ash. But so, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about Armageddon, you're talking about apocalypse, it makes sense to, to go to revelation, you know, which is the book in the, in the Bible that, that deals with the end times and all the the stories about trumpets and bulls and horsemen and and all that kind of stuff. The thing is, it's like the story that McElroy's telling, sometimes the verses that he chose line up with what's happening in the story for the most part, maybe like 80%, but Mm -hmm. other times 
the verses barely line up. It only lines up like 10%. So especially on this, on this double page, because the verse is talking about a woman. And I was totally lost. It says, you know, came out of her, my people, so that you will not uh, share in her sins. You will not receive her plagues. I'm like, who, who is she? Who is her? It doesn't make any sense. There's no female character in the book, except for Madrid. Uh, and I guess Siv, but clearly not talking about her. So I, I, yeah, I was like, I read, I went back and reread that page like four times. I'm like, am I missing something here? And I'm like, oh wait, it's a quote. So for, you know, it's a scripture. So I'm not, you know, I'm just again, I'm I'm not sure. There are times where it just doesn't, it doesn't land. Yeah, uh, like the letterboxing could have also been better because whenever it jumps into that scripture, it looks just like any other text. It looks like it's in line with the story. So you don't know entirely that you're reading scripture until you get to that point where everyone realizes, oh yeah, this is definitely a Bible verse. You know, when it gets like too, you know, floral with the language, so to speak, it, they could have like easily have just created like a letterbox or something or like a little scroll yeah. or thing, you know, and then just slap the, the Bible verses in that. So it's like very clearly, this is a Bible verse. It's related to what you're seeing, but it, you know, it isn't like characters speaking. It isn't like actions being dictated. Yeah, because I mean, that's the thing, even in the world building in the first couple of pages, it's pretty flowery language and there's lots of scripture there. And you're just like, OK, what you know, what not, not that everything is not important, but what context am I reading this these words in? You yeah. Know? So the story does really pick up after the first couple of pages where you start getting some some characters talking and, and interaction. And again, I would so I would actually encourage anybody who's going to read this to like go through and and you know, read it like, you know, as much as you can try to read it like a regular comic and then go back through and, and don't read anything and just like, look at the picture, just look at the art mm-hmm. and you'll get a different experience. Or you may want to go the other way. You may want to look, you know, flip through and look at the art first and then go back and, and read the words. But it's, it's definitely one of those comics where I feel like the, the melding of the, the actual text and the art, it's not as seamless as it is on some other books. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a, a different, a different sort of animal. Um, it's a very, very different style. And for anyone who's been keeping up with the spawn series, the regular spawn series, the curse of spawn, any of the side series that we've been doing, like this is a huge departure from any of those styles. All of those styles were pretty concrete. Like, yeah, you have moments of very abstract kind of stuff. I mean, the entire Cygor series, that whole six issue series was very odd. Um, But for the most part, you could actually tell what is happening because everything's very physical. This person's talking, that person's talking. And here almost everything is, is like a specter. It's everything's so ethereal and so formless, but you can still make out what these things are. It's a very interesting art style. I love Ashley Wood's stuff. He is an incredibly talented artist, but it is very jarring to just be thrown into this and to use this kind of art style as like the concluding volume in, in, you know, that particular story arc. I just don't know if the art served the story the way that it could have or should have. 
Yeah. I mean, if this was its own thing, that would be, you know, maybe a different story. But the fact yeah. that even the first four issues of that uh, Curse of the Spawn that we talked about before, we talked about how traditionally comic booky the art is, mm-hmm. except it's, you know, if, if there's any departure from traditional comic art, it's that the detail in that from Dwayne Turner is dialed up to 11. Yeah. Uh, there's so much detail in it. But I mean, you put that side by side with this and you would never think, oh, this is sort of like part five of, you know, that the story. <laughs> that, yeah, that story. <laughs> this is part five of, uh, of you know, Curse of Spawn one, one through four. This is like Curse of the Spawn 4.5, you know, if, mm-hmm. you, if we're talking like Marvel numbering or, or what have you. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of value in it. I, I think, yeah, the art is cool. Does it, is it the, was it the best choice to tell the story? Mm, I, I don't know if it That's was. Yeah. Taste. Yep, exactly. But it, it was cool to see Daniel again. Uh, it was cool to see Dirtus, you know, for, it, it is sort of a straight, he does feel a little bit shoehorned in when he shows mm-hmm. up at the end, you know, they kill the, the uh, anti-Pope and you feel like, all right, you know, they killed the bad guy. And then all of a sudden this other guy pops up, but only for two panels, only for two pages. Mm-hmm. And then he's dead too. He's the so, real final boss. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, well, I, I guess all humanity needed, you know, for this war they've been fighting for what feels probably like centuries, but it's more likely decades. All they needed was for, you know, a hell spawn to, to change sides. And then there's the whole aspect of which we talk about when we talk about curse of the spawn one through four of, of this. I mean, you gotta, you gotta think of this as a, as a possible future, right? Otherwise, yeah. Why are we bothering to read the regular series if we already know the end of the story? Right, right. This is a potential future. It is it doesn't necessarily mean it is the future? Yep. You know, it, it's for all intents and purposes. Think of it as sort of like B canon, like sub canon, or just non canon altogether. It's an interesting application of the concepts that Todd McFarlane invented for the Spawn series thrown into a Terminator-esque future post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah, the, I'll say the other thing that the art does, you know, you bring up the, the whole Terminator thing. We, we talked a lot about that last episode, how much the uh, those first four issues of Curse of the Spawn feel influenced by, uh, by Terminator. One thing that this art style does that Ashley Wood has is it does dial that back a little bit um, because this feels more like religious or supernatural because of the art style. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, that, that may have had something to do with McFarlane deciding to, you know, Hey, if we're going to finish off this story, let's, you know, dial back the feeling of, of tech. Because Mm -hmm. if, if you remember, or if you listeners joined us for that episode, curse of the spawn one through four, you know, even when Daniel himself is unmasked, He's, he's not just this, you know, body of necroplasm. He's got all these cables and all this metal and he feels very, very tech. There's, there's no villain. There's no character. There's no images that we get in this one shot that feel like they're tech. Everything Mm -hmm. feels magical and supernatural and biblical and kind of end time. So, you know, and again, that's, that's what Ashley Wood is known for. And he, he definitely nailed it. In that sense, it's a huge success because it definitely, you know, set itself apart. And since this story was kind of leaning into, you know, that more spiritual, ethereal sort of, you know, storyline with all the scripture and all all that, you know, I guess in that sense, the art does service the story, you know, in, in that particular 
uh, that particular theme. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, in terms of this being a 4.5 of Curse of the Spawn, I mean, good thing that it wasn't, first of all, because it, it would have been like 4.5 or maybe 4.1, 4.2, 4.3, because it's like 60 pages. Um, man, anybody who was like digging on Dwayne Turner's art um, would have been, <laughs> been like, upset. yeah, they would have been like, what, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Completely, but, completely different. Yeah. And I don't know, like the reason that I didn't put the dark future arc earlier in the timeline, because it's removed, you could kind of place it anywhere. Like yeah. when it first came out, it could have been the first spawn content that you read. The only reason I didn't do that is because you sort of need the context of who Durgis is to understand yep. that last little bit. And to do that, you need to read the Angela arc. You need to read that Tony Twist arc. So, you know, that that's the reason I arranged it the way that I did. You know, we, we needed to spend some time with those characters in those stories. So I felt like this was kind of like the right spot to do it. Yeah. And man, I think that this world, this future world or possible future world of, of spawn uh, with Daniel Lozano, with these other characters, man, I'd love to see Al Simmons do a little time traveling and and end up there, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe in the time between the uh, curse of the spawn issue four, Mm -hmm. where it ends with Daniel's hand coming back out of the ground and the start of this, yeah. Like what, you know, what other battles as Daniel was healing and like, maybe you do it where Al Simmons shows up as Daniel's climbing out of that wreckage that, you know, from that explosion that killed, uh, you know, Ad- uh, Abaddon. And then the reason that Daniel is in such good shape at the beginning of this is because, you know, he got he, Al Simmons showed him the ropes. Al Sil- Simmons helped yeah. him heal, you know, and they can do some battle and whatever, just, you know, I don't know, I'm just, yeah, just, just something different for for uh, for the regular Spawn series to, to do, you know, to jump into a, a possible possible future uh, kind of shades of um, that real famous X-Men arc, like Days of Futures Past, right? Where mm-hmm. Wolverine went, you know, to the future and every, everybody knows the cover of him and Kitty Pride, and behind him on the wall is the wanted poster of, of all the X-Men and some are already dead and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so so classic. So, yeah, it I mean, also just, reminds me of the uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. Uh, after that show ended in season seven, Joss Whedon continued it as a comic series a comic, for yeah. uh, several more seasons, from like season eight to season twelve. Yep, and uh, he tied in a bunch of his future content. He had like a mini series called Frey that was about a future Slayer. And uh, he managed to tie that series that set like thousands of years in the future or something. And Buffy travels to the future and then Frey travels to the past. And, you know, you got that cool, like the future meets the past and they inform each other's decisions. And, you know, one eventually leads into the other. Yeah. It's a great idea, Todd, if you're listening, if you want to <laughs> sell, sell more collected editions, you know, because if you did tie if you did tie the regular series in and, you know, you've got those editors notes that say, oh, Daniel first introduced in, you know, Curse of Spawn one through four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely great idea. So, yeah. And with uh, Spawn's universe right now, it'd be a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. So. All right. Well, I think that's it. Any last thoughts, Blake, on Spawn Blood and Salvation? No, that's pretty much it. It's a very interesting one shot. And uh, this is not the last time that we've seen Ashley Wood. 
Yeah. Uh, curious if the other one goes crazy with the, the biblical stuff. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, this comes out on Friday, March 24th. Uh, no, sorry, 25th, Friday, March 25th. Let me get my dates right. I do also want to encourage everybody, if you're listening to this, you love supernatural kind of stuff and horror and that sort of thing. I have another interview that's dropping today for a new image series that is being released on April 27th. The series is called Bloodstained Teeth, written by Christian Ward, CJ Ward, who's mostly known for his art, but he's actually just doing writing duties on this. Line work is by Patrick Reynolds. Colors are by Heather Moore. All three of them were able to join me for an interview, and it's it's very rare to be able to get the whole creative team like that. And so it made for a great interview because they were talking about the way th- their reactions when they saw each other's work, how they collaborated, how they built the world. And uh, it, the, the idea of bloodstained teeth is vampires are obviously are you know thousands and thousands of years old. Immortality is not cheap. And there's one vampire that's charging other people like social media influencers and whatnot to turn them immortal, which goes against the billionaire vampire establishment they don't like that you know that's against the rules um and it the really relevant idea that and what initially spurred it for cj ward was this idea that vampires don't just feed on our blood they also feed on our money and that's in my mind true of a lot of the billionaires that are out there right now right they're feeding on they're feeding on society in a lot of ways I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Jeff Bezos personally, but you know, when somebody's wealth goes from like, you know, whatever, 12 billion to 36 billion while the rest of us are trapped in our houses because of a global pandemic. Something's not right about that. That's, that's feeding on, you know, the misery of society. So anyway, check out the interview. It's uh, it's dropping today uh, on the, uh, on the feed and be sure to check out the comic. There'll be a link in the show notes on that. Um, on that episode to go to the image page where you can pre-order and do all that kind of stuff. So uh, we appreciate everybody joining us. Don't forget to follow us and subscribe. So just go to your favorite podcasting app or podcasting platform on your smart device, do a search for the comic source and subscribe. We appreciate the support as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.